Welcome everyone to episode 10 of season 2 or episode 30 where we're going to be chatting about heaven. And T, I'm sure we've got a lot to say about heaven. We do. It's the ultimate FOMO, the ultimate fear of missing out, right? You know, you, you can't miss out on this one. And I, I thought we should put that in the promo for the episode is, you know, you don't want to miss this episode <laughs> because, because if you do, really bad alternatives. Yeah, you're fucked. Um, <laughs> So before we do kick off, though, just a uh, just a reminder, people, Redbubble, it's coming up to Christmas. Christmas isn't far away. So get on to Redbubble, order some of this great merch. I was a Teenage Fundamentalist merch. You can get on there, get a cup, get a shirt, get a, probably don't get a hoodie, you know, coming into an Australian summer. All those in the Northern Hemisphere, get on and order a hoodie for your yeah, winter. Yeah, those in the Northern up. Hemisphere, get on and get two hoodies. Yes, I'm sure you can get a fur-lined one for the ones that are closer to the Arctic Circle. Oh, see, I think that might have been a bit of false advertising. I don't know that you can get a fur-lined one on Redbubble. I take absolutely no responsibility for false advertising. I am completely comfortable with it because Redbubble is a third party and we have nothing to do with it. If they can't provide it, then, you know, it sucks to be them. Yeah, or we could get our Canadian listeners to kill a beaver or whatever it is that they have, <laughs> kill an otter or a beaver or whatever it is they have and sew it into your um, I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist hoodie. I think that could be that could be done. That's what Canadians do, you know. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I've seen documentaries on it. They kill mm, beavers. Baby seals. Baby <laughs> seals, right? Remember but, that in the 70s? Look out. I do. That, that was horrible. Look, sorry, our Canadian friends. We know that you don't kill beavers. Probably, I don't know, polar bears or something. But um, We're going to get emails now saying, actually, we do. We we have had a, a fair bit of correspondence from uh, the Canadian fans. We've had a couple jump on, haven't we? We have indeed. So sorry, Tara Jean, if you're listening. We're not really dissing. Not really dissing Canada. Um, the other thing that's happening is Twitter is coming alive. We're getting a lot more followers and, you know, we're following some sort of key accounts that are that are tied to what we're doing. So there's a lot of interaction happening there. We've connected recently with some of the atheist groups. We've connected with some of the progressive Christian groups. We've connected with some of the cult groups or, you know, anti-counter cult groups that are, that are out there. And it's really sort of got some discussion and bits and pieces happening there. So I'm really quite pleased with that. So feel free to jump into Twitter and um, connect with us. We're at was at was teenage, and you can also connect with us in the Facebook group as well. Yeah, get on there. There's, there's definitely some good conversations, and we're certainly noticing uh, things pick up a bit. I guess in the the socials world, we we have had contact from a few people that are keen to to chat and record some episodes. Um, so listen out for those; they'll be coming. So talking about our topic today, B, which is heaven, as I said, the ultimate FOMO, dude, fear of missing out. You, you can't miss out on heaven. I mean, this was a this was a big deal, right, for us, because this was the ultimate, wasn't it? This was this is where it, where it all goes. And remembering from a previous episode, ultimate doesn't mean best. It means the last. So it was genuinely the ultimate. But before we get into our what did we believe as teenage fundamentalists, I've got to shoot my question to you, which I have with a lot of these topics. And it is, what did you think about heaven before you joined fundamentalism, before you joined Pentecostalism? I didn't think a great deal, to be honest. I mean, there was the, um, from the religious education at school, there was the exposure to heaven and obviously the alternate to that. Um, but for for me, I didn't think a great deal about it. I remember I had this kid's Bible and I think I was given it through 
the religious education at school, which I've said before was the Baptist one that I attended. And it was one of those pictorial ones. And I remember there was Jesus there, you know, sun shining out of his head, all that sort of stuff. And obviously that displayed that he was good, um, everything else bad. But that's all I remember. And so there was nothing ever throughout my childhood, through my early teens, where I went, oh, I really want to go to heaven. I didn't even think about it. How about you, T? What was your exposure to it? I mean, particularly Revival Centre, where you started your fundy journey. What were the thoughts there? Yeah, well, before I answer that, I just wanted to say that I didn't know where you were going with sun shining out of his head. I was <laughs> yeah. like, oh, okay, cool, cool. Yeah, because um, yeah, later on, the sun did shine out of his ass. My mum sort of, like, when she didn't raise us super Christian or anything, like we didn't go to church and stuff, but she did talk to us so uh, about religion. I always believed in heaven. That's where you go when you die, right? When you die, you go to heaven and that's where people go. And I thought most people go there. You know, it wasn't sort of narrow as the road or anything like that. So I, I again, I've said this before, in some ways was primed by my cultural beliefs that when you die, you go to heaven. I guess I did believe that really bad people go to the other place, which is going to be another episode, right? But they do go to hell. But I do think that I was sort of raised with this sort of what we call a tenacious belief that it was instilled at me at a very young age that when you die, you go to heaven. And there was a couple of kids at school that were atheists or came from atheist families that would sort of challenge that. But no, nah, I, I, I still believe that we, that we went to heaven when we died. And so when I joined the Revival Centre, there was a, a different sort of belief in the revival centers. The, the revival centers didn't believe that you went to heaven when you died. The revival centers believed, like the Jehovah's Witnesses, that you go to sleep. You know, what they call soul sleep or the doctrine of soul sleep, which is the idea that you are in the grave um, and you, you know, are in Sheol or whatever they called it, and then, or whatever the Bible called it, and then you would wait for the first resurrection. And at the first resurrection, everybody would be resurrected. Um, then Jesus would separate the sheep from the goats. And the good ones, the Christians, the sheep, they go up into heaven. Um, and whether that's heaven on earth or heaven in heaven, I don't know. I ne was never really quite clear, but it was definitely the good place. And then everybody else, we were never really clear in the revival center in terms of was there a hell or was there total annihilation or or anything like that. It was just you missed out on the first resurrection. So the Revival Center was really interesting because while we talked about hell, they interpreted all those verses metaphorically, that hell was more about missing out on heaven than it was about eternal fire or blackest darkness, and all those things were sort of metaphorical. But even with that, we were still very, very, very fearful of missing out because this other option still wasn't really good. And I always had this sort of mental picture of like being stuck on this lower level and just looking up and wishing you were there. That was that was hell and, and for eternity or whatever. But it, but it wasn't really clear in the Revival Centre because I don't think Lloyd Longfield wanted to tell everyone what he really thought because he didn't think that we were ready to handle it. So it was all sort of vague. But one thing was sure is you got in at the first resurrection 
you know, if you spoke in tongues and if you're a good revivalist and whatever other churches were out there, not that we ever knew that there were any others, but apparently they were out there and they believed exactly like us and did everything exactly like us. We just didn't know about them, you know, so maybe they were in Belgium or Africa or something. But those were the people that would get in as as well as us. And and that was what you were doing. You, you couldn't miss out on the first resurrection. You had to get into heaven. Yeah, it's funny. Isn't it? I remember the conversations that used to happen around cremation versus burial and how it would affect the ability for you to attend that first resurrection if you were, I mean, cremation was often spoken about as something that was an Eastern religion thing and you don't do that, you get buried. But I remember having conversations with people going, well, yeah, if you're burnt, like how do you attend that first resurrection? I would argue to say that if you've been buried in the ground for dozens or hundreds or even thousands of years, that your body would turn to dust anyway. So it was a bit of a, a moot point, but it was something spoken about. It was it was quite bizarre. And I got into quite a tussle with a family member about that once, that they were so adamant that you could not be cremated and actually be part of the resurrection. Very, very bizarre. Some Catholics are like that, aren't they? Or maybe all Catholics, that you're not allowed to be cremated for a similar sort of reason but to me from a you know from a fundamentalist perspective doesn't that limit god like if god can do everything and you know is ultimately you know omnipotent and all that it doesn't matter if your ashes have scattered and gone all over the place who cares he can bring it all back yeah that that was my counter argument at the time i was like dude do you not believe that god is all powerful and it just doesn't matter and it's a body hey it's not surely it's not a physical body that's coming back that's not what will go to heaven. Who knows? Which sort of brings us to that whole, what is heaven and where is heaven? I mean, there were so many different points of view, wasn't there, about, you know, is heaven up there? Is heaven down here? Um, you hear the, the now but not yet quite thing, you know, we bring heaven to earth, but eventually we go to heaven. It was incredibly confusing. I don't know how you found it, but I found it incredibly difficult to navigate and sort of ended up sitting in the space of going, oh, yeah, whatever, whatever, heaven is there. Uh, we'll get there one day. Not quite sure what it is. I think it's difficult sort of looking back, knowing what we know now, because I think we have a more informed position on the Bible, even though we don't necessarily believe it. We have a more informed position on the Bible than we had then. And so, and, and plus we, we matured and sort of grew in our assembly of God fundamentalist time. What was the difference between the kingdom of heaven and heaven or the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven? And, you know, there's all these terms, all these interchangeable terms. And, I mean, I look at it now and I realize, you know, Paul talks about it in one way and, you know, the writer of John talks about it in another way and the writer of Mark, you know, but we saw the Bible as this whole, this monolithic whole. And so these terms all became sort of interchangeable and all synonymous. So what was heaven and what was the kingdom of heaven? Were these, were these the same things? You know, was heaven a place? Was heaven a state of mind? I don't know. You know, it, it wasn't really clear. But I think if we can talk about what did we actually believe then, I think the Assemblies of God in Australia and now the Australian Christian churches had a very traditional evangelical position, which was in a lot of ways your soul went to be with God when you died. So it wasn't this soul sleep kind of thing. And then at the first resurrection, your body was resurrected and yada, yada. And then you went on with God sort of forever. That was the way I saw it. What about you? Yeah, totally. And, you know, there was just one ticket to get there. And that was, uh, except that Jesus had died for your sins. 
that was it. You know, that was your ticket to heaven. And then there was all those counter arguments, wasn't there, around could you lose that salvation? Could you lose your ticket to heaven? I tried not to get overly caught up in those. I just sort of went a little bit simplistic with it and went, yeah, going to heaven. Don't actually know what that is. Don't know what it means. And it was only probably later in my Bible college time when it started to sort of sink in that I actually didn't know and I had no idea what I was anchoring my belief to except the fact that I would be going somewhere one day that is good, good, not bad, and that is good. Um, You know, it was just, it was quite bizarre and I would hear a lot of arguments around it, um, a lot of theological arguments, and I just didn't get involved in them. Some of it might have been just laziness for me, to be honest. Some of it might have been denial that I didn't want to know that there might be some alternatives, that there might be different beliefs that I need to dig into. And I kept fairly simplistic with it. Yeah, heaven was, I I don't even know what it was, but it was a place up there. There was definitely, it wasn't here. It wasn't in the space that we inhabited on earth. It was somewhere else that you went to. But then there was exposure to those arguments of going, well, we are the kingdom of God and we're bringing it to earth. So is there a bit of heaven now with us? Are we giving people a taste of it before we actually ascend up to this place that's up there? I found it all actually quite confusing. I felt that I took a lot of those biblical verses quite literally. So you were talking about, you know, is it up there, etc. I think... I looked at it and I did believe that heaven was somehow above us, that you go up to heaven. And if you really tried to pin me down, I probably would have said, oh, you know, it's a metaphor, etc. But at the same time, I did believe it was literally somehow in the sky because Jesus had ascended into heaven, you know, Elijah or whatever was, you know, was brought up into heaven. Even the Catholic doctrine of, you know, Mary's assumption into heaven, it's all this going up, going up, going up. So I think that I really did believe that somehow it was in the sky. But if you'd pinned me down, I would have said, well, no, of course, there's a, you know, there's an atmosphere and a stratosphere and then there's space and there's planets and there's actually nothing up there. There's no, nobody in the clouds. And yet, and maybe this is cognitive dissonance, I don't know, but at exactly the same time, I would have told you, yeah, yeah, it is. Because I believed all that, that biblical talk of it being in the sky. And when I was preparing for this and, and thinking about that, I was thinking, that's just crazy to really think that it was going to be up in the sky. There's nothing in the sky. I mean, there is, you know what I mean? But there's nothing supernatural in the sky. It makes no sense. Yeah. Look, when I look back, and I reckon I sort of blended a little bit of science with fundamentalism because I did actually literally think it was definitely up there and out there. And I thought, this is a massive universe. It's enormous. And I used to love reading about just how minute Earth was in the context of the whole universe and the known galaxies. So you're a bit of a Mormon. You're a bit of a Mormon sort of saying, you know, there's a planet out there called heaven or something, were you? <laughs> I, think, I think I was. I've, um, I've always thought of myself as a, as a Mormon, so thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. No, but I did. I used, to, I used to think, well, surely God is out there. And I think I thought of him more of an ethereal being that could be out there in space. And that was probably the way I viewed God. So I didn't, I sort of didn't have a problem with that blending of it, but it was definitely out there, which when I look back now, I just think how bizarre that I was thinking. And it's a very, it's a bit of a universalist sort of view on it in some sort of way. It's like, hey, God could be there a little bit new agey, 
I thought it was more sort of alternate dimension. Like, yeah, it's up there, but somehow on the way up there, Jesus sort of phased out of this reality and went into this sort of heavenly reality. That's the way I saw it. Yeah, well, let's be honest. You're never going to truly know because you're not going there. (laughs) Ah, trigger, 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 (laughs) thanks. (laughs) Look, neither of us are. That's fine. We've made a podcast. We're going to burn. We'll we'll talk about that in another episode. For fuck's sake. I'm I'm literally triggering, all right? That's another episode. Let's not get started on the whole hell (laughs) thing, okay? But Jesus, God. We'll try not to. There was a fair bit of that which which really was the hook for me of starting my Christian journey and my conversion was definitely the heaven hook. It was, this is where you want to go. This is a good place. No one could really define what that good place was, but it was a place that was God. And I think late, it was only later on that we, we started talking about the hell aspect was an eternal absence of God, you know, so... The heaven bit, the hook was, it was an eternal presence of God. You got to be there in that eternal presence. And, you know, all that talk about what would happen in heaven would be this eternal choir and we'd all be singing and praising and worshipping for the rest of the days. I mean, that's a bucket load of people there. Well, yeah, but was it, right? Narrow is the way, dude. Narrow (laughs) is the way. And, you know, few are those who will find it. I used to tap into the whole praise and worship thing as well. To me, when I used to visualize, you know, during praise and worship, you know, hands in the air, shanda baba, seat bakala, seat bakala. When we would do that, I would visualize that I was in this holy throne room and sort of those paintings that you'd see of this sort of white throne and light emanating, you know, sun shining out of his head, um, etc., or from behind his head. But th- that's what I used to visualize. And so for me, it was like the, the idea of praise and worship going into the Holy of Holies. Do you remember they used to talk about that as well? You know, enter into the Holy oh, of Holies, yeah. brother. You know, um, And so for me, that was kind of like a little taste of heaven. And, and so I would go into the Holy of Holies and I would picture myself actually there in the throne room and allowing myself to praise and worship God. And that to me was a little taste of heaven. It was like a little piece of what was to come. And so for me, praise and worship was very much tied to the idea of heaven. But I can remember when I was doing Bible college, we did this praise and worship school within Bible college, like praise and worship course. And we thought it was going to be all this kind of, you know, holy of holies, yada, yada. And the guy who was taking the course was a muso who had started to really challenge a lot of this praise and worship stuff, you know, because he'd been immersed in it for years and you know, I think he's still in the church. I don't think he left, but he really challenged that and was saying, actually, you are the holy of holies. The spirit lives in you and, you know, all this kind of stuff and really challenged a lot of that thinking that our spiritual act of worship is the, is service, not pretending that you're in the, the holy of holies and all that. So that really challenged me, but definitely for the start of my Pentecostalism, hands raised, seat buckler, singing in tongues was all about being in heaven here on earth. Yeah, absolutely. We rained it in, didn't we? And it rained down on us. You know, I'm sure you've heard and I'm sure those listening have heard those accounts of people that swear that they have been to heaven, that they died for a moment and went to heaven. And it all seems to be a very similar thing, that there was light, lots of light. There was 
a meeting of someone or something that spoke to them and said, your time is not yet, you must go back. But they're all quite similar in their accounts. And how much do you think that is influenced by society and society's view as a whole um, on heaven? Well, I mean, that's another topic, really, the whole NDE, right, near-death experience, because there are a lot of commonalities in people's near-death experiences. But I think what was interesting was the only ones that we took seriously were the Christian ones, right? And that was true. So you would you would hear near-death experiences about people going up and, you know, meeting the Buddha or, um, you know, meeting these whatever religion that they were into. But the, But we would dismiss those. No, 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 that's a deception of the devil. It was only the ones where they would actually meet Jesus or if they were a, you know, dirty fucking sinner where they would go to some sort of hell. They were the only ones that I ever paid attention to and those other ones I would sort of put in the too hard basket. But without getting too deep into this topic, what's interesting is people that have near-death experiences, oftentimes it will reflect their religious, their current religious beliefs. So Buddhists will see, you know, a Buddhist heaven, Islamists will see an Islamic heaven, you know, Christians see a Christian heaven. But yeah, 100% we did, you know, put those other ones in the too hard basket. That's a deception of the devil. But when people went up and saw Jesus and saw heaven and white robe and, you know, shepherd's crook and gold rope around his waist and all that, then I was happy to believe those. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's affirming what I already believe. And, you know, they would talk about even the streets of gold and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Well, that's what we want. We want affirmation, don't we? And just the I love the fact that you had an acronym. Mm, NDEs, yeah. N- NDEs. Is, is that a thing? Because it sounds a little bit like a drug. I've, I've done a lot of reading into NDEs, and maybe we can do an episode on that subject at one stage. I'm not convinced that it's all shite, the whole NDE thing. I'm, I'm really not convinced it's all shite. But, but what I do find interesting is that different people have different interpretations of their NDEs based on their current beliefs. But sometimes people have these NDEs be and they have experiences that actually challenge their beliefs and challenge their current belief structures and you know challenge their Christianity etc a lot of people get up there and and they do meet Jesus they do see someone and they they think and they come back saying it's Jesus so what are you going to do with that uh, well we can save that for another episode and we'll get together and drop the old NDE and see where it goes. <laughs> yes it'll be fun no GHB yeah GHB element of P LSD NDE Yes. Yes. CRC, RCI, AOG, ACC. <laughs> I've said it before. No one loves an acronym quite like a Pentecostal. Yeah. Well, uh, I don't know. I've worked for some organisations that um, that have many, many acronyms. It's it's a thing. It's annoying. But heaven, you know, must be there. Do you remember that song by the Eurythmics? Good Aussie band, Grace Knight, Heaven. Wasn't the Eurythmics? Uh, sorry, the Eurogliders. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right, Grace Knight. Fantastic song. She's never seen Eden and she doesn't want to live in this place. Have a look. Have a look. I think um, actually for our Kiwi friends, I'm pretty sure that Grace Knight was another Kiwi which we claimed as an Australian. I have a recollection of that. Maybe it's not true, but we're all one. We're all in this together. So Google the Eurogliders heaven. Great song. Speaking of music, I think the first Christian song, you know, Christian contemporary music song that I actually heard was Keith Green's I Can't Wait to Get to Heaven. And whether it was or not, I'm not 100% sure, but it's certainly one of the earliest that I can remember because someone at our at the Revival Centre used to do it at a concert. 
And we used to have these concerts and poor us for the visitors. It was like, oh, it's all new. We had the same fucking concert repeated over and over and over. And this, this woman used to get up there and sing, I can't wait to get to heaven. And then later when I discovered Keith Green for real, it's this kind of live situation where he's playing this song and he's talking about heaven. And that was actually quite impactful on me as well. That whole story of heaven and that, you know, six days he created everything, but you've been working on heaven for 2000 years. So how great is it going to be? And Yeah, I do remember that song too. It was very, very emotional. There's no doubt about that. There's lots of lots of good songs, lots of good heaven-type songs, wasn't there? Remember that one where, I, and we may have spoken about this in another episode, but it was very powerful, that Carmen song that we used to put on, put the, the lights third on. heaven. The third heaven, is that the name of it? And we would crank it up, and I swear, I swear that we were in heaven when we were listening to that song because, wasn't it, someone died, they went to heaven. It was, it was an NDE, wasn't it? Yeah, it, it starts off with an NDE. And then he, then he gets, oh yeah, and then he comes back, doesn't he? I can't remember. Does he come back? I don't know. I don't know. Let's ask Kermit. Oh no, he didn't come back. No, no, he didn't. He will. It's been three days. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm not quite sure. I think it's been more than three days, dude. Didn't he die in February 2021? I haven't you heard of quantum physics? Like three, three days, seven months, whatever. Who cares? And that was really powerful though. And you, you introduced me to that. Let's turn the lights off, crank the noise up from the stereo and just immerse yourself in the experience and sort of go on this magical mystery tour. But see, this is why I say that he is a Las Vegas showman because that's what he does That's what he does so well. He takes you on this journey through his music. It was a great journey. It, it, it was fun. I did that many, many times, like just crank it, lay down. No, it wasn't even just with you and other friends. It was uh, sometimes by myself. Did we actually did we actually lie in the dark together and listen to music, did we? <laughs> <laughs> That's the story did we told. Did everyone. I just tell you about this or did we actually do this together? No, no, we did. You, <laughs> you, okay. you did this. And when I think back on it. It was a bit homoerotic. <laughs> yeah, it was a little bit homoerotic. You, I was listening to another episode we did the other day when you talked about how I was near and dear to you and I was thinking – I wonder if people are getting the wrong idea. We were never a couple. We were never a couple. Look, there's nothing wrong with it, but no, it, we were never a couple. We've known each other 30 years, um, pretty much. Yeah, we had is... lay in the dark next to each other and turned up <laughs> we... to music, but we never touched each other. Look, that's another episode. <laughs> Look, if we did, do not judge us, people. <laughs> Uh, it's a beautiful thing. Oh, Look, it's a beautiful thing. Here's to another 30 years. Um, <laughs> come After we finish this recording, um, come over. Let's lie in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> Let's play Jesus of Suburbia by Green Day. Oh, funny. Hey, wouldn't that be great? I don't think it'll take us on the same journey that Carmen did. In this instance, it took us to heaven, metaphorically. And maybe we probably even literally thought we were in heaven a couple of times, I'm sure. Well, that's what I meant. I, in the praise and worship time, I felt like I really was. I was stepping into the throne room of God, etc. Here's another thing, though, right? And this is sort of touching a little bit on the hell thing, but not going too deep because we want to have another episode about hell, right? I'm, st- I'm still fixated. I'm lying in the dark next to you. But I, <laughs> I think the idea of being in heaven while so many people that we love and cared for weren't, I, I did think about that from time to time. It's like, how could I actually be happy 
we're thinking that my mum and my dad and my you know brother who wasn't a Christian are not going to be there. And you know, even my brother who was a Christian, he wasn't a very good one. <laughs> so he probably wasn't going to be there either. But you know, I I did actually think about this. How could I truly be happy knowing that all these people are in some sort of eternal suffering? Yeah, look, I, I remember um, when I lived interstate from where I lived and have returned to since for about 10 or 11 years. And while I was in a church in that state, so the minister went away, they asked this pastor to come in and uh, he was a friend's dad, come in and look after the church for a couple of months while this person was off. I think they were studying in another state or whatever. They came in and they introduced more of a universalist theology. And it was essentially saying, how can you believe in a God that is so cruel that would throw a portion of people in hell, a very large portion, and then only bring in the chosen few into heaven? Like, what sort of God is that? So were you a Pentecostal still, or were you a backslidden Baptist by then? Uh, this this was a Church of Christ, so it would definitely be seen as a um, a, a backslidden Pentecostal. <laughs> There's no doubt. But... That was not something that was favourable in this Church of Christ either. So they came and actually removed this guy. So the pastor who was uh, meant to be away for a few months, they actually sent somebody in to replace this person and they couldn't be there. And it, it caused, it wasn't a huge split. It was a split amongst a few of those very close to that person, particularly my friend, but given it was his dad. And I remember at the time them trying to essentially convert me to this universalist belief, which saw everybody going to heaven in one big party, I wouldn't have any part of it because for me, I'd invested so much of my life in having to believe a particular thing to get me the ticket to heaven. Why would I want to go then? Well, anyone can just get it. And I remember challenging it, go, well, why would you invest all this? And they were like, dude, that's not what it's about. Like, Right now, you can bring heaven to earth and represent God here on earth, and that's the purpose of you actually following Jesus on earth. And but in the end, everyone gets in, and you can make the journey better. I I wasn't swallowing that. That for me, that was just a, a bit of a bitter pill. Yeah, it's funny you bring that up because the revival center Lloyd Longfield, the leader, when I was doing my research into the revival centers later on, you know, to find out who they were and you know, sort of unpacking all my stuff, I interviewed quite a number of people that were close to him and I actually interviewed him as well. But someone close to him said to me, I think Lloyd is ultimately a universalist, mm -hmm. but he doesn't tell his congregation because if they think that they're all going to make it anyway, they'll start to behave however the hell they want. So he believed that you'd miss out on the first resurrection, which lasted a thousand years, but then you would get brought in in the second resurrection with everybody, you know, even Adolf Hitler and, you know, Stalin and, you know, Nero and all, everybody gets to come back. Even Judas Iscariot gets to come back in this second resurrection, um, which is where he, you know, brings everything back to himself. So that universalist thing was actually there in the revival center, but a lot of people didn't know about it. But it certainly wasn't there in the AOG. No one gave any tolerance or any, you know, credence to the idea that, ultimately everybody would get in but i do remember talking to this old guy once in the foyer of great big aog and he said something to me he said you're going to be surprised at who's actually going to be there i remember having those comments thrown at me too mm, and it was funny because it was like there was these people within great big aog who were there but they weren't necessarily towing the party line 
and you know they probably weren't as fundamentalist as we were you know we were in the youth and we were all quite idealistic and that kind of thing but yeah this guy said that to me and it's like narrow is the way but probably not as narrow as you think yeah to find narrow yeah it was it was a it was a weird weird concept wasn't it heaven and even now like you think it's not it's as we've spoken about before it's not exclusive to christianity i mean just about every religion has some sort of heaven or whatever it may be their concept of it so there's always something that you're trying to attain that you're trying to reach there's always a better place than where where we are now so you know christianity isn't exclusive in this and i think it is used in a lot of religions as an attainment like if if you just stick with us and listen to more of what we say and maybe let us control you a bit more you can get a grasp on this thing that is our concept of heaven or our better place than now there's a book by Catherine wolf which is called beyond how humankind thinks about heaven and she spends a lot of time looking at sort of judeo-christian pictures of heaven but then she ultimately goes into looking at eastern religions and those kinds of things as well and that was sort of brought to my attention by the liturgists and so i actually did buy that book and i'm, I'm reading it at the moment there's another book heaven and hell by bart ehrman and he looks at the evolution of heaven and hell and so you know the further you go back into judaism there is no afterlife at all you know and and there is no idea of heaven that that sort of matured that idea came into judaism only a few hundred years before jesus you know at least the idea of the, there being this this heaven this place and so you know jesus came from that sort of context and so that's why we see the christians are very strong about it because jesus said it but the Jews aren't so strong about this idea of heaven. You can believe all kinds of different things. It's okay because the Bible, or at least the Jewish Bible, the Hebrew Bible, isn't very clear on it at all. You know, this is where I have my, my bases covered. I, I do have Jewish heritage as well as a past Christian belief. So surely I'm getting in somewhere. Surely. Yeah, well, fingers crossed. Fingers <laughs> oh. crossed for you. Or you might be going to two hells. Another episode. Don't go down that track right now, because you're not you're not very good at either of those things, are you? <laughs> I'm not. I'm, and, and I think people have picked this up. I'm a fence sitter quite often. I'll just sit there in a really comfortable space, going, "I don't know," and that might not pay dividends for me in the end because I'm, I'm not get one or the other. I might just be sitting in this place of indecision for the rest of eternity, whatever that may be. Yeah, well, for what it's worth, sitting on the fence and saying, I don't know, that's actually very Jewish as well, you know, because like I said, they don't they don't pin you down on a lot of these things. It's it's just open to debate. You know, as long as you believe God is one and, you know, you have the end of your tallywhacker cut off, you're you're okay. Yeah, my people are very comfortable with uh, with not knowing, which is good, which is obviously my inherent Jewishness. Very good. Hey, so next week we've got Ange Barker coming on now this is going to be a really interesting episode because we've not had anyone like Ange on the show before no it's it's going to be and look Ange has written a book with possibly one of the the best titles I have heard and you possibly won't pick it up from a Christian bookshop because of its title and it is missionary not just a position what a great great name for a book KT yeah indeed so she is still a Christian missionary but she's not a fundamentalist so it's really interesting. And, and I thought this was a really good person to have on because we don't want to be branded as we only have guests or, you know, we only talk to people who have completely rejected Christianity in all its forms. So when her husband reached out and said, hey, 
you've got to in- interview Ange. I thought this is great because it's it's demonstrating that we're saying the enemy here is fundamentalism. The enemy is not Christianity. And so these people have lived in Thailand. They've lived amongst the poor in England. They've lived amongst the poor in suburban Melbourne. And, you know, they're involved in community programs. And actually, you can tell more about what, you know, you've seen them doing. It's just those things. And I I certainly got involved around the edges of some of the things they were involved with. My daughter actually went on a, a school trip. They they do it in, in year, I think it was year 11 or year 12. I think it was year 12 where she went to the slums of Thailand and Ash and Ange were living in the slums of Thailand and they actually visited their mission, I guess. Their, and it was interesting because my daughter didn't go to a Christian school, but it was part of just a recognition of the amazing work that they were doing amongst the poor in Thailand, in Bangkok. And they were getting there and living that sense of mission, which I have an incredible admiration for. I I love it. I just think, and for me, you know, it's the depth of the social justice, you know, for me, I mean, that's something that is incredibly strong within my life um, and I've made a career from it. It was part of my journey out of identifying myself as a Christian was the deeper and deeper I got into social justice because I saw an absence of God in a lot of what was happening um, and the injustice. So it's interesting. So I'll be interested to hear Angela's take on that. Yeah, I think it's going to be cool because she's still wearing the Christian label. She calls herself a Christian missionary. And yet I have the utmost respect for her and and her husband in in what they're doing. You know, these are the kinds of Christians that they don't trigger me. They actually inspire me. So I told her when she's coming on, you know, we're not going to be hostile, but we are going to ask you the hard questions because she's moved from fundamentalist Christianity into a more liberal progressive Christianity. But more than that, it's not just theology. They're living this, you know, they're doing amazing work. Yeah. Look, if anyone's going to get into heaven, it's these sort of people. It's going to be them. Exactly right. (laughs) Exactly right. All right. So I'll see you next week. We're going to come back, talk with Andrew. It'll be really exciting. We do encourage you to jump into our social media channels, whether that's Twitter or Facebook. We also encourage you to um, jump into Redbubble and grab some of our stuff. And if you want to support the podcast and help us with promotion, etc., please visit us on Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash IWATF. I was a teenage fundamentalist and think about, you know, supporting that if you want to. We'd love it. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you for engaging in the conversation. We really appreciate it. And we will catch you next week. Cool. See you next time.